Welcome to the Party Pro Toolkit, sharing stories and ideas to empower participants and producers of nightlife, festivals, and burner culture. Greetings, this is Melina Liu, and you're listening to the Party Pro Toolkit. If you've been to Burning Man, Electric Daisy Carnival, Bonnaroo, or Life is Beautiful Festival, you have likely heard of the infamous Calliope Soundstage and Art Car, part of the fleet of art cars created and toured by Walter Productions. Walter Productions is an incredible example of a Burning Man camp that has successfully transitioned beyond Black Rock City to extend their mission and impact to their home city of Phoenix, Arizona, and beyond. In 2009, Camp Walter introduced their first creation, Walter, the world's largest VW bus, built at a two-to-one scale. Contrary to popular misconception, Walter is not named after a specific person. Rather, his name comes from the fact that he was renovated from an old Walter fire truck. Since the birth of Walter in 2009, this community-led organization has expanded their fleet of art cars to include Big Red, the giant VW Beetle, Heathen, the flame-throwing fire truck, Calliope, the Muse and Soundstage, The Peace Train, Pugbug, and Mona Lisa, which was based on Da Vinci's drawings for a war machine, now brought to life as a symbol for facing our own fears. Along with the expansion of art cars, Walter extended their reach across America for several years by touring Calliope and their other cars to major festivals such as Bonnaroo and Electric Daisy Carnival. Now they are taking root in their home community of Phoenix and extending into various projects such as the Warehouse Art Gallery and Venue, Walter Brewing Station, excellent beer by the way, the Walter Gallery and Walter Dome, which hosts Third Friday Potlucks and monthly art gallery openings, and recently has expanded into a 501c3 project called the Walter Hive, which is a makerspace that focuses on teaching skills to people from all walks of life, particularly at-risk youth and burn survivors. It's a lot to cover, but there's so much good information to add to your toolkit in this conversation with Kirk Strong, founder of the Walter Project and all of its affiliates. We met in his office to talk about the process of building community, organizational structures, the importance of ethos for establishing a culture, finances, team dynamics, and more. We'll fill you in on the first 10 years of Walter as we move into the second 10 years of the 100-year plan for this community that is intended to build a legacy for years to come. Can we talk a little bit about Phoenix? Mm-hmm. And your connection to Phoenix and this city, this desert metropolis that we call home, and um, a little bit about what draws you to this place and what inspires you to want to um, build here and take more root with the Walter Project here in yeah. Phoenix. Well, it's, I, I said Walter is very much about second chances, which is the whole Phoenix story, you know. And, you know, there have been civilizations here before, and, uh, you know, native civilizations and it's, it's grown and then it's shrunk and then it's grown again. And and we happen to be experiencing it in one of those growth phases. And, uh, so that, I think just, just that in and of itself is a, is a kind of a connection for both me and for Walter. It's just interesting to be in a space that's like that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's rising from the ashes. Yeah. It's, it's a diverse population, which is, is great as well. Um, it's, growing so there's a lot of opportunity um it also is uh you know it's it's a place that you have to take a lot of care because of the environment and water and sometimes it's inhospitable and Mm -hmm. dangerous and uh other times it's just you know 
joy and you know um, easy living mm-hmm. and so not, uh, not too much of a far cry from the things we have to experience exactly. to survive in Burning Man it's like desert people we kind of get it absolutely um, and I grew up in Iowa so it's certainly uh, to not be in I mean they had negative 20 below zero this year this winter yeah. and uh, <laughs> to be here and not there is wonderful um, but no I, I, I've just seen a lot of uh, opportunity here and so I think um, it's kind of a city that isn't already all kind of sorted and already on this kind of like from an art and culture perspective. Um, it's, it's like it hasn't sort of arrived or have some, um, some bar that seems like it's really, you know, um, there's only certain people who it's accessible. are accessible, very yeah. accessible. And um and I think of Walter as well and myself as a bit of an outside artist, you know, outsider kind of art. And so um, I think I think this is a great environment to be able to be a little bit of an outsider. Um, like um, it's just you know, there's there's affordable spaces. There's a lot of land. Um, there's you can do things where the weather can allow you to do certain things year round where other parts of the country don't nearby there's really beautiful kind of areas and you're you're close to california close to vegas close to colorado Mm -hmm. so um, new mexico uh, utah so there's there's a lot of really kind of cool surrounding areas with natural beauty but um yeah those are my reasons i guess for being Mm -hmm. here and how long have you been here in but um um Almost 30 years, I guess, something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. A long time. And so did you and Mary move here together, or did you uh, meet here? We met here. Okay. Uh, she came for her residency in pediatrics, and I was here for my family medicine residency, and this little boy knelt down on a nail, punctured his knee joint, and uh, got infected, and Ooh. and uh, we came together on, in his care and uh, met each other at County Hospital. That's really sweet. Fell in love at first sight. Yeah. (laughs) I've been uh, peripherally involved with Walter since I started going to Burning Man. I met Anna um, Christina shortly after my first burn in 2012. And she was kind of the person that brought me into the fold, albeit slowly, and then more so through um, Saguaro Man with Ruby. And uh, I've always just picked up this really warm, welcoming community vibe in the Walter family. And that's something that I think is pretty prevalent of people who interact with this community, that it is a community that started as a burner camp, Mm -hmm. started as a Burning Man camp, but has grown into so much more. And I think that it would be really neat to hear about, you know, your story of kind of the, the origins of Walter and how sure. this has evolved. Sure. So you're very right that uh, Walter really did start around Burning Man. And, but the way that um, my wife Mary and I got to Burning Man the first time um, was really on an, on an adventure taking our daughters and homeschooling them during their junior high years. And we had a good friend named Rob Larson, who um, was also interested in going, actually, 
we weren't really interested in going to Burning Man. We, we'd heard a little bit about it before, but it was really at the prompting of a friend of ours who also had, um, they had three daughters and we had our two daughters and it was to do this trip and, and go on an adventure in, an, in RVs and go to Burning Man. And so that was in 2007. Okay. And I really didn't know what to expect. And um, I had heard about Burning Man at the time that I had met a, an old fire truck um, made by the company Walter. And that was at a, a Volkswagen bus, I guess, gathering in Jerome, Arizona called the Jerome Jamboree. And I'd been going to these Volkswagen um, camp, camping events for a number of years and had taken our daughters and just had had a really fun time uh, interacting with that very tight-knit community. And it had reminded me of the communities that I'd met when I, um, my brother and I went to a number of Grateful Dead shows back in like the 1980s. And I was always intrigued by the idea that there, there were these people that were, you know, most of them didn't know each other, but that was very accepting. It was really fun. It was all associated with, with the band. Um, but um, I always got the sense that it was almost like, a, like an echo of something that was very, very old. Like there had been people who had gone around and, um, you know, um, had had celebrated and there was art and there was food and you know people were maybe dressed a little differently so that they they kind of knew who was in their group and who wasn't in their group and and they would move from city to city and i always just thought in the in the grateful dead um community that that was like something that had just been going on for hundreds of years but it just happened to now Mm -hmm. be traveling around with the grateful dead and and I found that a bit in, in the Volkswagen community, fiercely independent, um, I think reflecting this idea of freedom where they had all their belongings in their, in their bus and could go anywhere and could sleep in it. And um, it was really fun to expose our, our daughters to that. Um, plus, we just like to camp. Yeah. And so what turned in then to a camping trip to go to Burning Man um, was uh, was really seeing something that was way above and beyond what I'd experienced in these other um, communities, I guess. And it was really the scale of the art, the challenging nature of the place that mm-hmm. they were all going to, um, and the fact that they had been doing that for decades, just going back again as a group and, and growing. And my wife and I were just really sort of overwhelmed by the by the the expansiveness and the grandeur of it and I took from it after seeing some of the art pieces that that old fire truck that I had had uh, um, uh, known about at um, in Jerome Arizona which is where I'd first heard of Burning Man was the same day that I saw this old fire truck um, I just saw this you know idea of taking that fire truck and turning it into a giant Volkswagen bus and taking it to Burning Man. And so that's where those two pieces connected was through Correct. the Jamboree. Yeah. And so I already knew about this truck and, and, and I knew where it was and it, it had been there for, you know, it was probably at least probably 10 years before that I had seen it for the first time. 
and then I knew what what I wanted to do and so to some extent Walter is really founded in art so it was it was really a, a an opportunity to take a piece of art and share it with a community that was certainly um, beyond anything I had ever seen before open to that kind of level of self-expression and it was absurd to, to do it we had no mechanism to do it we didn't have the community built to do it but um, my friend Rob and I really just started when we got back we took a year off and ended up going back in 2009 okay. with Walter the bus and that was the beginning of Walter and that was the beginning of everything so mm-hmm. how did you go about that process of getting together the people and the team to convert this um, chassis was it is a chassis yeah it was it was, it was a like it a, was a full uh, airport fire truck airport um, fire truck yeah and uh, um, we have three of them now so we have um, Walter who's a 1963 um, Walter airport crash truck and then we have Big Red who's a 1959 and then heathen that's a 1978 Walter airport crash truck and so Really, Walter the bus looked a lot like Heathen, only he was painted white, and sure. and he was never to be moved again. Parked in a in a mine, in an old mine in outside of Jerome, but um, so the the um, only person that I knew at that point who I thought could um, could help me with it was really Rob Larson, and he worked at a place that had a big garage. And um, we were able to to uh, trade an old Volkswagen bus for it, get it down to Phoenix, and take it out to his um, to his uh, work garage. And um, we started to just spend nights working on it, um, trying to get it run running better. And uh, we very quickly broke it so that <laughs> he couldn't start again. And um, it was through that process that we engaged a mechanic. Uh, Dave Robertson, um, who had worked on some vegetable oil uh, projects with, with oh, as me far before. as converting diesel engines into Correct. running on veggie oil. Yep, and right. uh, so uh, I persuaded him to come out and to s- look at our mess and see that we had uh, broken Walter and we couldn't start him. <laughs> and uh, um, then he um, he signed on. He, he he just thought it was a weird enough project and he he started helping us to work on it and then we found a place where we could store it to start to do the body work Mm -hmm. um, to skin it like a Volkswagen bus and there we met uh, Ziggy Cordier who is uh, he was a had a a body shop he was a young kid from France that uh, was trying to start a body shop and he jumped on the project and then through friends of theirs we started getting some more people involved um, metal workers, folks who knew LEDs, um, and really started kind of the the beginning of the Walter community. Joel and Martha Dry, um, okay. Nathan Ward, um, those those were really that very first core. And then we brought on some fabricators. We had enough resources we could hire a couple fabricators. Primo, mm-hmm. uh, who's still with the project, yeah, the longest running uh, sort of person in Walter, besides Mary and me, and uh, we got him just barely able to make it to Burning Man in 2009. And we had a very tiny camp, um, maybe you know 20 people or so. Oh, wow. And uh, that was our first year. And we 
uh, drove him around out on the playa and, and just, you know, fell in love basically with sharing what we had created with the Burning Man community. Sure. And, and it seems like, you know, there's really this piece about um, people just adopting into an idea and a an mm-hmm. vision and to just be able to participate in the creation of something like that and just that in itself, building a community around it. Yeah. And the people who took part in those early years, it took a few years to get Walter to the point that um, he was running pretty well and had a full body on him and had enough lights and sound to be able to go out and and uh, uh, participate really well at Burning Man. And the people who who poured their time and energy into into Walter, you know, first they, I mean, they, they really had ownership of the project and, and uh, the pride and just the joy of being able to, to share that with others mm-hmm. um, was, was, I think, the driving force behind it. And so that little community then started connecting with some other communities. So we, through him being a giant Volkswagen bus, we started to take him to these Volkswagen festivals. So back to Jerome, mm-hmm. um, Lake Havasu, where they do buses by the bridge, um, and other events where the Arizona uh, Volkswagen community started to kind of connect. And then um, music actually started to kind of be part of it. And uh, beer was common um, mm-hmm. in, in uh, you know, what that group kind of liked it to drink. So then we got an, a small brewing system and started to brew. And then more artists started to come in, and then we started a small art gallery. So for a long time, we were just all focused around this this place called the Walter Dome, which was where we yep. had built him, and um, developed um, kind of a, a process of having potlucks and Friday afternoon clubs and Volkswagen bus uh, gatherings and art shows. And so that was really in the first five years, I would say, mm-hmm. um, really what Walter was kind of about. It was very focused around that one art piece and sharing Walter um, with others. And we had adopted some of the Burning Man principles, uh, which was we really didn't exchange money at all. And, um, you know, some of the other some of the other principles, but it was very much focused on self-expression, radical inclusion, leave no trace. And, um, yeah, that was kind of the, yeah. the, the foundation <clears throat> of Walter anyway. And I think the, my second year of the burn was the first year of Calliope, which was 2013. Right. Does that sound right? It's like in the second five years. This is, this is like Walter. moving into that, that second five year phase because it was like, you know, the launch of Calliope was kind of a whole new chapter for the direction of the camp and yeah, I think the, 14 was probably the first year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was like, and the ability for, you know, the Walter community to start engaging and expressing in a different way. Absolutely. Um, so we, we definitely did not come, I mean, the music that was associated with Walter was predominantly bands and that was, um, was kind of in those early years. But then at Burning Man, we started hearing more electronic music. And so we started to, um, amp up the, uh, no pun intended, the, the sound systems. Um, and we built a couple <laughs> other cars by then. Um, sure. cause we had, uh, we had, um, uh, Walter blown his engine and that was how we ended up getting heathen, uh, 
because um, we thought we were going to take his engine out and put it in Walter, but then he then was too perfect, and, and we so didn't just, want to take him apart. Yeah. And we found an engine just like Walter's. It turned out it was Big Red's, and he was about to be um, uh, uh, recycled and crushed. So we ended up getting an engine and then the chassis, which became the Beetle, and then Heathen, the fire-breathing fire truck, out of all that. So th- those were those the, were the first. Three. Those were the first yeah. three, and so it really was the Walter project. So it was we're converting lar- uh, these large Walter Airport crash trucks into moving art pieces, and then came Clypey, and, and then changed. came Clypey, and everything changed. Yeah. Um, and at at what point did? Um, because it's not just the Walter Project, there's also um, has become these other offshoots from the Walter Project. So I know there's also a nonprofit aspect. Right. And what are the, can you talk a little bit about the origins of that and how that came to be? Sure. And um, so I would, I would right now break it into um, three entities that kind of grew out of that original, um, very not... It's not not a uh, not a true not for profit, but it was non profit certainly mm-hmm. uh, its origins, and we realized that we needed to work on sustainability. We started to see that if we didn't figure out some way to create a sustainable model for it, if anything happened to Mary or me or you know or even if uh, if something happened to the vehicles that there was no nothing around no protections around it, and it could just stop just like that. And that was when we started to think about having a 100-year plan, which forced the issue of thinking beyond ourselves in terms of how how the Walter Project would continue. And, and how the community itself can continue to thrive. Not Absolutely. Being, yeah, that's... Yep. And so, um, and Clybe, I said everything changed because that was... That was the time when we recognized that there was a commercial opportunity to what what we were doing as a Burning Man camp. So the, when we went to Burning Man for the first time with Clypey, which is a 1969 um over-the-road trailer that was about to be salvaged, and it has 1940s um, Altec Lansing um, uh, horns for... And that, that for the high end of the of the sound, and it has old speakers from the very early discos um, from the 1970s. Oh wow! And then modern technology for like subwoofers and modern um, uh, lights and effects and lasers and things like that, um, which most of the Walter, well, all the Walter creations are something old that mm-hmm. has pretty much been forgotten or ready to be you know salvaged or or recycled and we just kind of put new life into it and give it this chance for a, for a second a second uh, shot at uh, at life so um, and I think I've heard you also kind of extend that analogy like into the community itself sure you know, the, absolutely yeah I mean what we personify all of these vehicles and they have names and they have personalities and if you ask people in our community I mean you know people would say there's you know a certain level of intelligence or a certain level of personality or being whatever of these things that that so many people have poured their hearts and souls into to create art um, art itself can create life in in inanimate objects somehow i'm not 
I'm not, uh, sure. don't profess to understand. I'm a mm-hmm. physician, but I don't, I don't have any idea what it is that people are, are, are seeing in these vehicles, but it certainly ev- evokes emotion mm-hmm. and they, you know, sort of like how people today are, they say have kind of fallen in love with their cell phones and things like that. Mm-hmm. So an inanimate machine type object um, I also saw a recent study about um, bicycles and bicyclists and their emotional connection to their bicycle. Um, mm-hmm. Not surprised. I mean, you see it in old cars and, you know, people have restored their car and how they baby them and love them. And kind well, of the difference of something that you've worked on with your own hands compared to buying something out of a box. Like absolutely. you might have an attachment, but yeah. when you've actually, you know, formed and created and welded and modified something, yep. like I think that there is a, a deeper connection that can be established. Well, the connection is absolutely there and real. Um, you know, I think it, it actually applies to buildings as well, like homes. You mm-hmm. know, people, most people, if they're really connected with a home, you know, building that they call a home, you know, it's, it, it's, it's something more than just a building. I'd say there's, there's at least sort of three avenues that have kind of grown out of that. Um, and some of it was the, the, the need for the sustainability was there needed to be then a more commerce- commercial kind of um, avenue. And so Walter Productions grew out of that, being able to take Calliope and the other vehicles out and share those at festivals, corporate clients, community events. Um, All the while we were doing a lot of um, things that I would say were certainly not not profit driven mm-hmm. parades and people's you know community events and things like that, which ultimately um, created the um, the Walter High, which is the 501c3 not for profit arm, because there's always been a very community service focused aspect of of Walter, mm-hmm. but the um, the Hive has really taken that to another level. Oh, now. wonderful! So that's like the the official like nonprofit Correct. entity. So now they are really focused because Walter for a number of years as well had been part of the Arizona Burn Foundation, mm-hmm. which is that, burn, I think that's more survivors. what I was, had in mind. Yeah, yeah, which is super interesting that connection. Yeah. So um, in part, old fire trucks, but my wife and her physicians, and Mary started doing art with children in the hospital. Um, that were burn survivors because they're in there for months. And that was our original connection. And then the aftercare survivor camp um, in Northern Arizona, we started bringing, Mary started going, uh, uh, doing art and self-expression with those kids. And then we started bringing Walter and bringing music and lights and fun and, and all of that, um, the Walter kind of experience to burn camp. So Walter's probably been there eight or nine years running now. And um, we have a strong connection with them. The Hive is focusing with like homeless kids, kids that are blind, um, kids with cancer, um, uh, kids that are uh, LGBTQ um, and homeless, um, and then adult groups like hospice workers um, and really just others. It's really kids of all ages and Mm -hmm. helping them to express themselves through art and technology. So oh, Walter has wow. certainly gotten into very much into the art world, but also into uh, more technology because all of our things are some combination of art and tech. So sure, and yeah. to kind of inspire and educate a whole new yeah. generation of kids who might be interested in getting into that level of tech and creation. And Absolutely. Are there some partner organizations you're working with? 
on that? On the Hive? Yeah, yeah. through the Hive. Absolutely. So the Foundation for the Blind, Hospice of the Valley, um, Arizona Burn Foundation, um, St. Vincent de Paul. Um, there's there's more. Uh, if Mary was here, she could uh, run down the right? list. But um, all of that has been done through connecting through existing not-for-profits. And, mm-hmm. and that's that's been very, very effective. So they've uh, they've been doing wonderful programming there for a little over a year now. Yeah, it's yeah. been really neat following the progress. And uh, Ryan and Allison seem to have had, uh, McDermott seem to have had like yeah. a really uh, large role in kind of guiding that. Yeah, absolutely. And so then um, the production side is certainly um, it started as more like a traveling show. Mm-hmm. So um, we're heavy into kind of logistics and and being able to do pop-up events and things like that. But from a sustainability perspective, we really realized that Walter Productions needed to have um, more local and sustaining business opportunities. So now we've started to work on venues. So we bought a big warehouse out in in downtown Phoenix and another another, uh, venue um, in downtown Phoenix as well, an old film studio. One's an old paper factory, one's an old film studio. So obviously the, keeping the, the Walter mm-hmm. idea of something old and then injecting new life into it. And then we got an old fire station and turned it into a brewery. And so the if you think about that original um, core development of communities, it was around art and music and making and brewing beer and going to Burning Man, and all of those things have grown and scaled outside of those original um, ideas to now where we're, we'll have, the way I think of it is immersive ex- um, experiential entertainment mm-hmm. in, in venues, as well as the ability to go out and take those kind of same entertainment ideas out into the community, as well as community service, and then definitely helps to have a brewery and produce your own beer and be able to distribute that from sure. a sustainability perspective. And it's just, it's another art and another craft. Mm-hmm. Well, it's neat to see that, you know, each of those initial values that brought this community together kind of found their own branches from which to grow with, you know, the alter, the Walter Art Gallery and the Maker's Space happening with the Hive yeah. and, and the warehouse and the warehouse and, and the gallery. Yeah. yeah, so that's an additional gallery. Yeah. Um, and it's um, it is a um, uh, it's a very organic entity, Walter the, the Walter as a company or a mm-hmm. or a group of companies is it, it's an organically growing entity. We're, we're, in thinking about what we've sort of just gotten through the first 10 years, the second 10 years are probably going to be creating a lot more structure around it. And mm-hmm. uh, so that affects growth, but at the same time, you know, now we've been commissioned to do some public art. Um, uh, we've done um, public art in Scottsdale and in, in Phoenix mm-hmm. um, just in this last year. And so we have opportunities to do more of that as well and really just, start to put roots in kind of Mm -hmm. into the ground here and that I think will create another sort of um, expansion and the ability to scale in some way. And what I think is neat about that is that you did have you know a couple years there really um, starting with Bonnaroo 
that the Walter Project was just getting out across the country at these major festivals and corporate events and even some universities. But what I think is really neat about that is that now that you're grounding it in to bring it back home, that just brings that much more awareness and attraction to our place here in Phoenix and the Valley. Yeah, we met so many great people outside of Phoenix, yeah. and now it's fun to and Now it's back. like, oh, hey, you got to come see us over yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> come check it out, what we got going on in, you know, in the desert. And yeah. um, so just as you know, another member of the community, I'm really excited that yeah. you're focusing more, um, you know, more of the upcoming efforts here locally. I think that's a really great move. Yeah. And at the same time, how cool that you got to, you know, go and do all that traveling yeah. and get all this stuff out there and get so many other people to experience it. Yeah. And going to Burning Man and having to do the logistics to get to Burning Man, survive at Burning Man and get everything back and get it cleaned up is very good practice for a traveling show. I mean, right? you, you certainly are a circus <laughs> of, of sorts. Yeah. So that, that, uh, it, it was a great way to start. Um, I don't think we could have predicted the, how this would grow, um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's interesting now in retrospect looking back at how it's growing. Um, one of the things is um, during that, that sort of the, the second half of the, of the first 10 years, we also started seeing that a lot of what was happening was about the community that was gathering around us. And, you know, we started to see that there was there would be benefit in trying to have some identity for that group. And so clearly calling it Walter, um, you know, we call the, a, a lot of the people that helped out with those events part of the tribe. Um, we came up with some principles of our own besides Burning Man principles, like show up and be nice and clean up your shit, which are the first three. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, after that, it's like dream big, use what we have, um, um, be grateful, um, uh, resolve your conflicts and forgive. Um, keep it going. Surprise people. I think those are the main ones. Wonderful. Yeah. So we're we go deeper into those depending upon who we're working with. Really, mm-hmm. um, like using what we have is really what we're very very focused on that and still dreaming big, but use what we have. Those yeah. Are kind of two conflicting kind of ideals. But the show up, be nice and clean up your shit is really about we we try to get that across to all the new people that we interact with. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, branding one of our beers, just be nice, is, is a part of that. Um, showing up is uh, is certainly part of, you know, we what we really try to, to model as well as mm-hmm. try to help others to, to be able to show up. Well, and it's, and that's probably one of my favorite things about getting involved with Walter is like, that's all it takes. You just gotta, like, that's rule number one, just show up and keep showing up and you're in. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And it's amazing, uh, you know, how many, how many people have so many other things going on where, you know, it is really just the dedicated people who do show up and keep showing up. And I think that that's always been, um, such a beautiful open invitation yeah you know to let the community develop in that way yeah and as long as you're nice and you show up and clean up after yourself i mean Mm -hmm. really a lot of the a lot of the issues we've had from a community perspective over the years can really be tied to one of those three things um there's lots of ways of not cleaning up your shit right (laughs) that that can certainly 
be problematic. And there's definitely, you know, it's like everyone's, uh, most people are nice most of the time. And, and, you know, that's really all that we're really asking for. Cause mm-hmm. it's really, it's, it's being nice, but not being walked on, you know, like, which is, is we've had to work on as well. Mm-hmm. It's if, if you're, just nice with no boundaries, um, you can you can get taken advantage of, and so we've had to kind of be a little a little stronger than that, and uh, but that is a great area of kind of inter interpersonal exploration of how do you resolve conflicts and how can you forgive and those sorts of things. But sure, and um, you know, kind of a question I've always had is you know what's what is the comparison between being nice and being kind? Um, and kind of how do those two worlds fit together? Yeah, we, um, we definitely have, have talked through what kindness is. And we actually turned that idea into, it's, it's not really one of our principles, but it's start with love. Mm-hmm. And that I think is our translation of kindness. I can see that. And loving kindness is is a term that I've you know that I've sort of always been intrigued by, and and you know it's a, it's a a type of meditation you know that's been taught for long long periods of time, and and uh, s- somehow that sort of was able to flip to that start with love idea, but nice is. Um, is an, a really interesting one because it almost creates a bit of conversation around it. Um, it's if someone's um, being aggressive and coming at you, mm-hmm. there's a, and you know, unfortunately, like, I mean, with where we have gone and what we've been involved in and all of the things that happen, sometimes people, you know, are off kilter there, you know, they're, they're, they're drugged or they're affected or they're just angry or whatever. Um, but I think that you can teach someone how to be nice to that person, mm-hmm. but you also have to know where that limit is. And I don't know where kindness defines that limit mm. for, okay, now we're done being nice. <laughs> but are you ever really done being kind? I don't think so. It's like, I mean, kindness is something that is just, it's always there. But sure. niceness, you can be very nice, but at some point you have to draw a line. And mm-hmm. and we've had to draw those lines and to some over extent, the years. You know, it's an exchange, right? Yeah. That you can't just pour it out without receiving some of that yeah. courtesy in return. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Though, so that it, the niceness is, you know, a bit of a two-way street, I yeah. think is. absolutely. And yeah. we are asking people to be nice. Mm-hmm. So if there's an issue, and just like the beer is called Just Be Nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, and and uh, especially now, I, I never would have thought when we first came up with those ideals that, our principles that, like that would be an important thing. Mm-hmm. but. Like there is a lot of not being nice going on right now, and especially in the digital realm, where absolute, you just get people really yeah. attacking each other. Oh, absolutely! Like being nice is is not is not the norm, unfortunately, like right <laughs> now, and it's gotten worse in the time of Walter that I've watched it. Um, so I'm really I'm I'm really glad that we that we made a stand around that, and that we enforce it. 
Mm-hmm. Because if somebody's not being nice, um, most people know what that looks like. Like that's it's not not all that hard. Yeah, <laughs> to, there's not much of a gray area. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like, and you can at least have a discussion about that, and you can still disagree. You can have conflicts, and mm-hmm. um, that's totally a okay. But when it comes right down to it, um, there's a level of, you know, I guess respect, acceptance, that. Um, that falls under this idea of nice, that, mm-hmm. at least our definition of what nice sure. is. Yeah, and yeah. I think that exchange too, which maybe isn't something I had considered yeah. before. And you think about like this community and I mean, these are heavy duty um, uh, military vehicles in most cases. Mm-hmm. We've, uh, not all of our stuff is, is soft and squishy. A lot of it's sharp and pokey. We shoot fire. We, um, we are uh, road warriors. We we can survive in you know rough conditions, bad hours, you know heat, cold, rain. Come back home and do it again the next day. I mean it's a it's a tough, tough group of people, mm-hmm. and um, so you know the, I I just think that's a side of Walter because the the whole story of Walter is this fire truck. I mean. It was it was a, a heavy duty tough vehicle, and that's where really we tie ourselves back to again and again. Mm-hmm. It also, you know, it like a fire truck doesn't care what color you are, what sex you are, what your sexual preference is, where you come from, mm-hmm. whether you're poor, whether you're rich. Not like none of that makes any difference to a fire truck. They're they are programmed to try to save lives, basically, and particularly an airport crash truck has only one purpose: is to save lives. It drives right up to right within feet of the of the burning fuselage, and discharges ten times its volume in foam in a very short period of time. So they're heavy duty, they're tough, and they're fearless, and they go yeah. in. So. That's at the heart of Walter. Yeah, and it has the potential to save lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it turns out Walter's very nice. As well. <laughs> like, everyone loves Walter. I, it's mm-hmm. the weirdest thing. Like, it's, a, it's just a truck, right, that we skinned. and But, I mean, ask people in our community or people that don't even know us. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, people love Walter. Well, and, you know, the um, Burning Man organization, uh, Marion Goodall, she just released that uh, really great article about doing some course correction in the culture right. of Burning Man and, um, you know, kind of touching on that, that they asked for these reports from people. And I was actually working the Everywhere Pavilion. Um, I was volunteering at the Everywhere Pavilion last year, and we had this citizens uh the project citizenship and we had a book that people could literally just add their ideas Mm. and their feedback and their thoughts and one of the things that she said she was so upset about was people the way that people were being treated you know about getting on art cars or specifically around getting on art cars and i think that um that you know some people saying oh you know, no, like you're not pretty enough or you're right. too old or, you know, right. just stuff like that that is really offensive and so against the Burning Man principles. And um, I think that, you know, the Walter community has really earned that reputation on the playa of being so good about the, 
you know, radical inclusion right. for people and to make people feel welcome and like, yeah, climb aboard. There's the little sign that says, right. come on up here. Right. Really aboard. inviting people, you know, to get up there and within limits of safety, inviting people up on top of Calliope yeah. and not feeling like there's a red rope culture right. happening there. Yeah, I was, I was impressed that that was where she led. Um, and and I, I, I think it's, um, I, I mean, it's, it's a, it, was, it was really disheartening to hear sort of that story. But I think we, we certainly knew that that was out there. It's just mm-hmm. not Walter. It's yeah. just, that's just, so um, this year we're actually, I think, going to try to sort of expand that and get even more people on our vehicles. Great. That's, I mean, everybody should be able to hop on an art car at Burning Man. Yeah, and that's, you know, one of my, when I meet new people, virgins who are going to Burning Man for the first time, that's one of the things I tell them is make sure you leave your bike at home at least once. Yeah. And just go ride in the art cars and just see yeah. where you end up and see where it takes you. Yeah. But at least one night, leave your bike at home and just go yeah. be in the flow. Yeah. Um, because that is, you know, one of the biggest gifts that's brought to the playa are these incredible mutant vehicles that mm-hmm. have very few other places that they can even be brought out. Right. And I think it's really neat to see in, um, I think even just more so in the last 10 years, how much more there's been this integration of Burning Man culture beyond the playa. Right. And how these different camps are starting to integrate more fluidly in their communities on a more regular basis. And I think that you know, the Walter tribe is such an incredible example of that, of, you know, not only like of evolving beyond a Burning Man camp into all of these other facets that are becoming, you know, permanent um, or, you know, quote unquote permanent, uh, like permanent, like new venues that have yeah. roots in the community. And that localism, I think, is just really next level. Yeah. And um, as far as an example of you know, Burning Man camp kind of evolving that far. And I guess this year would be the 10 year anniversary of Walter the Bus. 11. Last 11. year was 10. Last year was 10. Last year was 10. Okay. Yeah. yeah so, uh, so we're moving from the first decade to the second decade. Yeah. And, uh, so we are, we are going to evolve our camp for this year. And, uh, and there've been a lot of people who have really focused their, um, a lot of their, uh, time and energy at Burning Man working. So, you know, when you have yeah. a dozen semi-loads and you have, um, you know, 250 people and you have 50 to 75 of them who pretty much work all of work week, all of um, uh, burn week, and then strike and then get home and have to clean it all up and get ready to go to the next gig. So um, this year we're going to uh, uh, take fewer vehicles but we really like the ones that we take out, Walter, Big Red, and those guys to to even do more there. As well as the one thing that we haven't really done there is is create art pieces for. If you say the art cars are art pieces, but mm-hmm. um, but more stationary type pieces. And so this year we're going to start to bring um, our well to create our first art piece. Excellent. Yeah, Walter's Altar of Happiness. Walter's Alter. Walter's Alter. A-L-T-E-R, not A-L-T-A-R. Alter. And and we'll let people alter it, of course. Okay. Alter of happiness? Yeah. I like it. 
we had thought about the, the second 10 years, maybe a cool thing to do would be to build the temple at the end of the 10 years. And, um, but there's something about the temple that's just, it's, it's very different than Walter's vibe. Mm-hmm. And um, there's definitely a, a lighter kind of, a lighter sort of way that Walter interacts. And the temple is a place where, you know, so, uh, you know, it's, it's so perfectly suited for leaving and loss and, mm-hmm. you know, letting Reverence. go and all of that. And so we thought, well, one, one of the things the temple does is it allows people to go in and leave their mark there and leave their mark about something very personal and then to be able to let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, so we like that a lot, like, like that ability that any person at Burning Man can go and change that. And there's one of our art pieces called uh, Love. It's a, an old World War II trailer that um, has copper panels in it and we have dyes and we let people pound uh, messages into the copper and um, it's, there's just something really um, beautiful about being able to, someone allowing you to hammer on their art piece mm-hmm. and leave your mark on it and so we're really intrigued by this altar and we don't know exactly what this altar is yet but that this altar um, could be open to that for anyone who's at Burning Man and we'd encourage them and you know help them to to do that but maybe more in the name of happiness or mm-hmm. in you know um, this is a slight slight flip side of the temple concept sure and uh, so I think we'll probably build altars for the next 10 years just wonder if we could shift into some of the nuts and bolts kind of stuff um, and I think you know, we've been able to talk about a lot of the um, the what of what's been going on in Walter, and I'd love to talk about some of the how of like how do you, you know, how do you operate these kinds of logistics when I know that it's you know it's multiple semi lights out to the burn every year, and you have the teams that are doing transport, and the teams that are building, and the teams that are producing. Um, and I just find it to be such a fascinating working machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just wondering if you'd like to talk a little bit about how all these pieces work together and support each other. Sure, sure. So, um, well, there's um, there are multiple LLCs as well as a 501c3, uh, so the Walter Hive. And, you know, a in order to go out and travel and shoot fire and do all of that, there's really the need for um, the infrastructure around safety, around risk management, and around operations, really, for all of those. Um, so we have one entity that is very much about risk management, about financing, about um, contracting, about... Um, the administrative oversight and that entity also is in some ways helping to incubate smaller business units and those business units are expected to be self-sustaining so the 501c3 is one of those although you could you could almost say it's in a little bit of a class of its Mm -hmm. own but all of the regulatory things around being a, a, a not-for-profit, 
about um, uh, its donations and managing its its uh, um, its its both finances and reporting um, are still really overseen by this sort of this central entity. Then um, uh, some of these business units can be partnerships. Others can be like single member LLCs that are um, that are uh, you know around a specific purpose. Mm -hmm. So like Walter Productions being you know an example of one of those. But the Walter Station Brewery is is a partnership, and so we can we can bring in um, individuals who are able to to you know help with the uh, not only the ownership but the control and the execution of the mission of that of that business unit sure yeah and um, so it's a it's a structure that's really centrally managed mm -hmm. so there's a there's a CEO of, of this regulatory and risk management side um, and then there are our um, other individuals that will work at at a different level in the structure of mm -hmm. all that. I don't know if that yeah is is a is a very high level sure. sort of thumbnail sketch of of the method. Mm -hmm. um, but we're I mean we have people who are professionals that have worked in you know large organizations before myself. I've started businesses before and and um, have worked also in big corporate environments. Mm -hmm. um, so both on the entrepreneurial as well as the the structured corporate kind of levels um, we have people that bring all of those together but any sort of organically growing entity like that mm -hmm. at its core is entrepreneurial in some in some state because Absolutely. yeah so it's trying to grow and it's trying to find its way and it's it's uh, trying to capture an idea and turn it into something um, but you also, in order to do those things, you have to understand HR, you have to understand mm -hmm. legal, you have to understand taxes, you have to understand financing, all of that. And bringing in the right people to support those areas. Right. So so we bring in expertise in whatever, in whatever endeavor at whatever level that we need. And I think something uh, that would be really helpful for other people and inspiring is um, maybe having an understanding of how this has moved from being a fully volunteered effort with, you know, maybe yourself and a few other people making these initial investments to make this possible. But then how has it shifted from being a volunteer effort into a self-sustaining effort? Yeah. So I would say in the in the first half of, of the first ten years, um, it was very 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 heavily volunteer, and it was developing kind of the ideas and the the potential to actually create um, commercial entities out of that, and so we had to then. Um, evolved to more contractors and or employees over that time. So mm -hmm. sometime in there when we started actually going out and touring, we started to get paid. And so we started being able to have employees and started being able to have contractors and vendors that we could contract with. So the availability of those funds really were 
critical in Mm -hmm. being able to start to develop those other pieces of of like a business infrastructure. And um, so now um, the creation of 501c3 was critical in in that volunteer kind of idea because now there's um, far less volunteerism inside of the commercial Walter entities Mm -hmm. and lots of volunteerism inside of the 501c3 structure. So um, we've, we've, we've really split it down the middle Mm -hmm. and said there's a for-profit arm of of Walter and there's a not-for-profit arm of Walter. And that's where volunteerism has shifted to the not-for-profit side and people get paid on the other side. Yeah, which is great. And I think that, you know, that seems like there's still um, definitely um, a healthy amount of volunteerism that still needs to keep place just to get, you know, all the people who help out with events and parties like on the more participatory level, the ambassador programs yeah. and um, that that extension of the community is not typically, you know, they're not all employees. They are just consistent contributors and right. um kind of a mix it seems depending on the event whether they're volunteering time or if they're getting paid as well yeah so what we learned from some of the of the festivals that we've done um there are levels of of um of of pay i guess there's sort of like ticket exchange you know so a, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the workforce around a festival might might be there but get tickets but and they might mm-hmm. be volunteering some of their time but they're in exchange they're actually getting uh, something of value for that and then we've moved to a lot of hourly um, uh, employees so, so there are a few people who are and few uh, instances where it's a true contractor mm-hmm. but a lot of times they're actually employed by us but on a part-time basis on an hourly basis Gotcha. And then, of course, there are some people who are salaried, you know, who are involved in daily operations and things like that. And that's an incredibly small team that produces a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, as far as, I'm going to shift again. Um, so thank you for chatting with me a little bit about the financial stuff, because I think that um, it's a challenge for a lot of these burner camps to uh, really establish how do we keep this going how do we keep this funded and sometimes it can be hard to um, generate those funds within the community right and so I think that you know Walter being able to step beyond their existing community to start looking at you know some of these corporate clientels and these larger festivals and those actually becoming opportunities um, for the sustainability of the project yeah I think is pretty And I think the the arts have always had patrons. Mm -hmm. And so Walter has benefited, you know, from patrons as well. And I think, I think that, um, if, 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 uh, if Walter was only a, only, you know, uh, trying to survive on its own, its organic growth would certainly have been much, much, uh, slower. Sure. So, in order to sort of make some of the leaps, there had to be investments to be able to like create new art cars or to be able to, um, uh, you know, come back from, you know, 
uh, catastrophic mechanical failures. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when something really breaks, how do you how do you res- how do you you know improve it and restore it? So, um, so Walter certainly has has benefited from that. That said, that you could also in the kind of the startup world, you could think of that as incubation. Mm-hmm. So if the arts get patrons, but if you think of um, of a hybrid of that, where it's really because I, I think of, of Walter as very art-based, mm-hmm. um, that it's, and so it, it really had patrons when it was more more like an art, uh, an art project. And now as it's becoming more uh, individual businesses, now it's acting more like um, uh, startups who are getting investment capital in order to be able to, to launch. Yeah, definitely. And so in those early days, were you one of the, like, the sole patrons of kind of, like, investing that initial capital yeah, there was to like get a, Walter a, and the first vehicle started? Yeah, Mary and I were, were certainly patrons for early Walter, and there were a few individuals as well who, who would give um, uh, financial contributions to it, um, but it was really heavily supported by the volunteers in the tribe. And so the volunteer in, in the, hours, really, of like people just volunteering their time. Pour to, their time and effort yeah. into into it, you know. And uh, so, um, and camp, Burning Man camp, certainly was one of the sources of, of that off playa. So the mm-hmm. same, a lot of the very same people were then involved year-round and were giving time not only at Burning Man, but they were dedicating time off playa and and but the, the, it's really changed from from those early days now mm-hmm. but um yeah i i think right now we're really looking at how, what do we do with the burning man camp because now that becomes almost the outlier in terms of the structure and where does it fit and mm-hmm. so i know a lot of camps have created not for profits around their around their camp and uh, we certainly are going to create an entity around Camp Walter as well. Not quite sure what it is, what, what legal legal like. entity it mm-hmm. will be at this point, but um, it's it's reached its its sort of development developmental stage where it needs to be that kind of entity. So, um, what are some of the what are some of the main challenges that uh, the Walter Project has faced, and what are some of the you know different creative solutions? that y'all have come up with, or maybe, you know, some of these things don't have solutions yet, but what are some of the biggest challenges that this community is facing? Yeah, well, you know, um, I think the, uh, the, the growth and sort of how do you grow? Like it, it's, it's always wanted to grow sort of, it's, it's just always had a kind of a, a growth trajectory and uh, it's often painful, you know, in terms of how does something grow and, you know, like we ended up tripling our number of art cars when we blew the engine in Walter. So it was it was sort of at a crossroads of is this just going to stop? Like, are is nothing else going to happen? Mm-hmm. And out of that came. Now we had three art cars. We had Heathen, Big Red, and Walter, and that then all of a sudden created more growth. Um, were we just going to stay like that, or were we going to um, evolve further, especially towards music and sound and all of that. So it was challenging to get Clyde built, but then that just blossomed into into a, a really rapid area of growth. 
And I, I see that same sort of thing happening now as we enter the second decade of this, where sustainability is really the, the name of the game. Mm-hmm. And so how do you go from something that was, you know, um, very organic, very fun, developing an infrastructure, and then all of a sudden, like really we have to figure out how it's gonna be around 100 years from now. Mm-hmm. And so that's driving a lot of changes in evolution. And uh, so it's, those are, those are, the, those are the challenges. If, if we sure. just wanted to have, take Walter every year back and forth to Burning Man and just keep him running and, and, and have a very small camp, that would have been very easy. Right. But to do what Walter has done is certainly challenging, but incredibly rewarding. And mm-hmm. the number of people that we've been able to interact with is, has just grown exponentially from that little, that little you know, beginning. And so mm-hmm. um, to me that says there's, for some reason, that's, um, there is that energy behind that. And whether it's our message or whether it's to, um, I don't know, there's something, something about it is certainly, it gets me excited to, to help it continue to grow. And its, and its community also wants it to grow as well. So, yeah, but it's, uh, it's growth is not easy for sure. I think one, I think the one thing is we just have never stopped. Yeah. And like, the... like when we should have probably, we just <laughs> didn't. And, and I think that's, I think that's part of it. You talked a lot about the history of Walter and what is kind of the vision of the next 10 years for Walter? Yeah, it's <clears throat> so a couple things. One is um, I think it's kind of the year that Walter wakes up, mm-hmm. like wakes up to the need for sustainability, the need for care and attention around some of the things that we've been doing in order to strengthen it for a mission to go beyond the second 10 years. So really critical to kind of to kind of wake up, I guess, a bit. I also am really interested in Walter actually waking up. Um, so right now I'm taking a, an MIT course um, on artificial intelligence. Oh. <laughs> um, and uh, this last year at Burning Man, we did uh, Calliope AI one night, which was we uh, wrote a little bit of software and allowed Calliope to play what she wanted one night of the burn. I remember hearing about this. Yeah. yeah. She played the weirdest stuff ever. Did she? Yeah. Al- <laughs> played full albums. Full albums. Full albums. Okay. And obscure stuff. Was that and something she chose? Was full albums in contrast with songs? So the so artificial intelligence really to me is like the the human machine interface. It's mm-hmm. not really so much about just machines. To me, it's much more about about uh, how humans and machines are interacting. So humans interacted with Calliope in order to give her some bounds and some capabilities mm-hmm. um, and uh, so she couldn't just play anything that she wanted but given the bounds of what she could do she could play whatever she wanted sure. she also controlled all of her lights so um, and uh, so all of the changes of the lights and all of that there were program human programming that went into it but then she was able to um, to do some of that so everybody's always said Walter's semi alive anyway so I'm actually interested in uh, seeing what that means. I, I figure 50 years from now, there will certainly be awake machines. And so mm-hmm. maybe Walter will be one of the early, uh, you know, old fire trucks that wakes up. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And then with um, the Walter Warehouse, yeah. that space is going to be kind of more of a pre- presenting space and events happening there and yeah. art gallery. Correct. As well. Yep. Event space and uh, be able to bring in big art. There's, you know, there's not a lot of 45,000 square foot warehouses that are galleries. Right now, we only have about half of the space for a gallery. Um, but the bigger, you know, even if we ex- if we don't expand, still 23,000 or 4,000 square feet is you can bring in some big pieces. So we're talking to a few artists who have um, larger installations that would like to come in. And uh, um, plus all the vehicles fit in there. And That's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then 7th Avenue and Roosevelt really... I, I, I want to build that giant house that I've been the talking about house, for a yes. long time. So, yeah, yeah. So that's just kind of been delayed a little bit. Yeah. The, um, the tariffs, um, uh, increased the, the steel prices so much. And it's also a very sort of packed construction market. So the pricing is way sort of out of hand. So, um, we, we got very far down the line. In fact, right in there is that giant set of uh, plans in the corner. Mm. That big, uh, big oh, yeah, the huge roll there, um, I see. So, um, but we're re-looking at it as to how we could do more of the work ourselves. And, and I, Walter's built everything that we have, really. And so um, I don't want someone else just to build us a house and hand us the keys. Like, if, if we're going to build a house, I'd like to build the house. What are some of the other things, you know, that you've learned along the way? Um, it's really all about people and teams is mm-hmm. for sure another major thing. And um, I, I really think that the idea of, of principles and things that help the culture to, to be able to, to weigh in on, on stuff and to create discussion around or just, just to feel good about being part of has been very, very helpful. So... Um, like, like if you ask people at Burning Man who don't even know us and don't know that be nice is part of Walter, they'll tell us that we're nice. I mean, mm-hmm. oh, they're, also, they're also nice over there. <laughs> like it, it actually, actually works. Mm-hmm. And, um, as long as, as people are willing to enforce that, it, it does, it really helps. And we really do clean up our camp well, so we don't, we clean up our shit and mm-hmm. we're always looking for ways that we're able to kind of bring those things in. And so I think, um, I think that that is really, really, really helpful. Now, if it was, um, you know, show up when you want, be an asshole and, you know, and make a mess, yeah. <laughs> then that's who we would be. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no question that we would be like that. And they wouldn't place you at Burning Man anymore. You'd be at the back. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be in there. Probably. The... Probably. Yeah. But we could we could have just as easily have embodied that. And we probably could have gotten a lot of people on board with that same idea. Yeah. I mean, you know, like attracts like. It's amazing what, <laughs> what you can convince people to do. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think if it's, if, it's, uh, um, if it's around something positive... Where, you, where it's accepting and people mm-hmm. work together and you really try to make this a better place. I mean, that's that's a better set of rules from my perspective Absolutely. than, than the, the alternative. And uh, so that actually gets into a different aspect of this toolkit, which is um, you know based on inspiration from the Burning Man's 10 principles uh, to develop a party, prof- like party pro ethos. 
So this project is about inspiring and cultivating more party professionalism. And what does that look like in our communities? And so I was thinking a piece of this is creating a party pro ethos that applies to all these other spaces where we come together and celebrate and gather outside of Burning Man, because Burning Man is a very particular place. And um, I think the principles are still a great guiding force, but there's a whole lot of other people in these communities that aren't involved in Burning Man and, you know, are exposed to this culture in different ways. Right. Uh, so I guess we already kind of touched on some of the Walter ethos, which I think is just brilliant. Um, is there anything else you think that kind of applies to, or even, you know, of the Walter ethos, the things yeah. that apply to the greater community? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting using the, using the term like party culture or, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, I think we came, so I, I understand, uh, that, that concept. I think we came to it very differently mm-hmm. in terms of, um, and, and I think that's, I think that's part of it. It's like, a, like a, the idea of a party is that it's very episodic and that it's, it's, or it's a kind of lifestyle that's always a party. You know, that's, that's, that, that could be two ways to mm. interpret what sure. a party is. A party is either just an, an event mm-hmm. and your responsibilities at that event, or it could be, you know, a party lifestyle or whatever. And well, I don't, I don't really think Walter is a party lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we certainly throw events and, and that, um, is, uh, so, so that there might be something to the, to the, the kit that helps define both events and the time in between events. Mm-hmm. So, because they're different in yes. terms of what's required and the time in between a lot of times i see it as as really the the culture of the people that are at the core of of keeping or of being able to have events so um and and i see that i see that we're like 50 50 like we're 50 percent events and we're 50 percent that thread that that runs in between mm-hmm. those events and um you know, I think at events, you, I see anyway, you have a lot of people that are not part of your close-knit community. Mm-hmm. And so there, like, you you all have to pull together. And you also have to deal with things that you may not have to deal with on the thread in between. Sure. Like, like in the thread in between, um, you know, it's like, how does decision-making work? How do, um, how do you... Um, set priorities how do you deal with conflicts how do you um help you know people grow in in positions how do you make good connections out in the community how do you strengthen the the infrastructure and the capability to you know Mm -hmm. to do your mission and then in events um some of those things still apply one of them is like there's a structure to what happens in between there's a structure to events most certainly and there you can create a vibe you can um you can allow or disallow whatever it happens to be the you know in any variable in mm-hmm. in that event um but you're also required to try to like get people there so sure so there's like the whole like how do you how do you attract people into 
to, to celebrating with you, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And kind of bringing them into the fold of like kind of the community code of conduct. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And at least for us, like if somebody comes into a Walter event, and we have very, very different kind of Walter events. If you go over to the Walter Dome and they're doing a, an event, um, they're doing yoga or qigong in the gallery, or you come in and there's a bunch of kids learning how to weld, or you go down to the brewery and it's all firefighters that are there, mm-hmm. or you go down to the studios and somebody's making some weird technology thing, but there's there's it's you know there's no uh, no, no, uh, no crowd around, or you go to a warehouse event and there's a thousand people there that are all in this immersive experiential, you know, entertainment venue. And so there is not just one sort of thing, mm-hmm. but there are some things that, that can go across all of that. And I think in Walter it's, it's, you know, acceptance, starting with love. It's, um, holding to some ideals in terms of how people treat each other. Um, it's uh, keep it legal. It's um, consent. Mm-hmm. It's respect. Um, it's quality production. It's ex- self-expression. Um so that's just a lot of sort of words that you can almost sort of mm-hmm. like lay them out well, there. Yeah, and, there, and that definitely connects with some of the things that have already been inserted in there. So yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think, I think the responsibility around the experiences that you are responsible, that, that you are um, very involved in, in in terms of helping create, force that issue of, of how, do you, how do you look at safety Mm-hmm. How do you um, look at how people are being treated um, and what they're experiencing? Mm-hmm. Like you're there expressing our Walter is expressing itself in in a way that you know is engaging. So um, I don't even know if I answered the question, but no, no, I, I do think <laughs> that I do think that the idea that there are are at least two significantly different dimensions of. Mm-hmm of what a toolkit could have for someone. And you can't do one without the other, quite and honestly. Yeah, and there's really um, something I've been toying with is that there's really two different sets of ethos. There's one for the producing side, when you are yep. hosting and presenting and producing an event and welcoming someone into your space and experience. There's kind of a different, there's a specific ethos there that I think is really what you've touched on very well. And then there's also the participant ethos, which I think has potential to, you know, maybe carry even further. And as far as like a form of memetics for people who are the participants in these spaces and how do we as a community hold ourselves and each other accountable right. in our interactions, just as the people who come and participate in these different events and parties and celebrations, yeah. um, you know, what does that look like? Yeah. But, I think you touched on it in a great way, um, particularly from the producer and presenter perspective. Yeah. And I think it's wonderful to see all of the overlaps. So this is one of those questions that I ask everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun to kind of see yeah. where people kind of um, put that in. And I think something that you spoke to earlier it, that's so important is perseverance and resilience mm-hmm. of just, you know, being able to continue through and push forward even when things are hard even when things fall apart, to just not give up. 
Yeah. Um, Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's that's. I think you're absolutely right. And you know, I I imagine it's very challenging when first you don't necessarily. Not everyone has that thread that ties the the producer arm together day in and day out. Mm-hmm. So in other words, there could be a, a group that kind of just collaborates mm-hmm. from time to time, and then you're inviting the you know a broad base of public, and depending upon the kind of event that you're envisioning, you can get over your head really quickly. Like, Absolutely. Like yeah. if, if if you aren't prepared, not only from a from a skills or staffing or controls perspective, mm-hmm. um, I could see how you could very quickly get things could get out of hand. And if you, um, depending upon what the self-expression is that you're allowing through that, that also can get, you know, it can create all sorts of weird or interacting kind of vibes that, plus, you know, um, just what's allowed in terms of people's level of intoxication or, you Mm -hmm. know, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and to, you know, really have more eyes on the floor and that's where I think the ambassador program is really successful is that yeah. you know being um, an ambassador of a space is a different level of from a bouncer or security or right. the bar staff or the production staff even it's like you know people who are literally just having an eye out for the well-being of the participants yeah. and having that closer look yeah at what's happening when you know people in these other roles have other jobs to pay attention to right Um, I think that that's where that, you know, the Walter Ambassador Program has been incredibly successful. Thank you for listening. This project is brought to you by you, the listeners and supporters of Patreon. If you would like to support the Party Pro Toolkit by contributing $5, $10, $20 per month on Patreon, you will help this project grow as we share stories and ideas from party professionals. Support of this project will allow the research to continue in other cities across the country and around the world. To learn more, please visit PartyProToolkit.com.